Well, hey, good morning, Plum Creek. I want to welcome you to week two of our series called Crucial Conversations. Every week during this series, we're looking at different people who had encounters with Jesus. And these are people who met Jesus face to face and got to have a conversation with Him. And every single time, these encounters with Jesus turned out to be a major turning point for each individual. So this morning, we're going to look at a fascinating story found in Mark chapter 10. But then later, we'll have a chance to apply this story to our lives in a very practical way. This is Child Sponsorship Sunday at Plum Creek. And you may not know exactly what that means yet, but you will very soon. And I got to tell you, what's happening today has been literally years in the making. And I believe God is doing something special through Plum Creek, not just in this moment, but for years to come. It's all very exciting, but I've got a ton to cover today, and I'm sure you don't want to miss lunch, so let's jump right into this. Now, like I said, today's crucial conversation comes from Mark chapter 10, and in this story, Jesus meets a guy who is not given a name in the Bible, but sometimes he's been called the rich young man or the rich young ruler. We don't know much about this guy, but we don't need to know much because his encounter with Jesus is short and sweet. It's also tragic. Let's go ahead and read it together. You can follow along in Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So do you see what I mean about this being tragic? This man was troubled about something. He had been thinking about death. He was thinking about what happens after this life. And like many people, he got a little freaked out thinking about all that. So he wanted some answers. And he wanted hope. And he was kind of a go-getter, wasn't he? He didn't just sit and fret about this or lie awake at night worrying. He went and found someone who might help him. And this is so sad because the rich young man had the right question, and he took it to the right person. When he ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees, he encountered the greatest power in the world, in the universe, because Jesus had the ability to create life out of nothing. He had the ability to raise the dead. So this man had the right question, he took it to the right person, but he responded in the wrong way, all because Jesus said something he didn't like. Jesus told this guy to sell everything he had and give to the poor. And for this rich young man, that was too much for Jesus to ask. Now, in your opinion, does it seem a little strange that Jesus gave this command After all, look at the Ten Commandments. There is no commandment that says you have to sell everything you have. So what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that all of his followers have to sell everything and give to the poor? 
Because if that's the case, no true Christian would ever own anything, and that makes no sense. But then why did Jesus give this very difficult command? Well, Jesus was not interested in killing time with small talk. He wanted to go straight to the core issue here. And just like Nicodemus from last week, this young man needed a spiritual rebirth. He needed to be born again. He needed to give up control and surrender his entire life to God. So what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus put his finger on the most sensitive place in this man's heart. The reality is this young man had a choice to make, and the same choice is in front of all of us. We all have two options. You either say, I choose blank over Jesus, or you say, I choose Jesus over blank. Now, if you follow along with your note sheet, I usually tell you what to put in the blanks, but in this case, I'm not going to do that. You have to decide what you put in your blank. So for the rich man, what was in his blank? It was money, wasn't it? In order for him to die to his old self and experience a spiritual rebirth, he had to choose Jesus over his wealth, but he wouldn't do it. Instead, he followed the advice of that old Steve Miller song, go on, take the money and run. That's what this guy did. But that, my friends, was the wrong choice. It's the same for everyone. Whatever you put in your blank, some people choose comfort over Jesus or power or sex or fear or any number of things. And whenever anyone chooses anything above Jesus, the story always turns tragic. Because you see, Jesus wasn't trying to get something from this man. Jesus wanted something for this man. Actually, Jesus wanted to give this guy several things, but he walked away from all of it. He walked away not only from the hope of eternal life, but also from all of the blessings Jesus would have given him in this life. So, if this man were able to speak to us here today, if he could send us a message from that place where his money does him no good, I know what he would say. He would say, don't make the same terrible choice I made. Don't choose anyone or anything over Jesus because it's a terrible trade-off. You know, in this whole series, today's crucial conversation is the only one with a tragic ending. This is the one case where the person says no to Jesus. But let's think positive for a second. Let's flip the script what if this man had said yes to Jesus? What if he said, sure, if you want me to give up my wealth, I'll do it? What would have happened? What would God have done in this man and through this man if God had taken control of his life and, and helped him develop the habit of generosity? How many people would have been blessed? How many lives would have been saved? Well, we can't really play the what if game. Because God never tells us what would have happened. But what we can do is look at other people and see what happened when they said yes to Jesus. For example, you know the story of when Jesus fed 5,000 hungry people on a hillside? How did Jesus feed those people? Did he say some magic word and make food just appear out of thin air? That's not what he did, was it? What did he do instead? He used a small boy who offered his lunch five loaves of bread, 
and two fish. That boy said yes to Jesus. He could have resisted. He could have said, this is all I have. But he didn't say that. He gave his lunch to Jesus and trusted him with the results. And the results were amazing, weren't they? Jesus fed thousands and thousands of people with that small gift. There was even food left over. And I think it's, it's fun to imagine that boy later that night as he's falling asleep and thinking back on the events of the day. Do you think there's any chance he had regrets about saying yes to Jesus? Absolutely not. Because that boy got to be a part of something miraculous and special, something that we still talk about thousands of years later. So here's the question I have for you today. How is Jesus leading you to choose him over everything else in your life? You know what goes in your blank? And then where do you stand? Are you willing to say yes to Jesus? Are you ready to be a part of something miraculous and special? Well, there are lots of ways to say yes to Jesus and lots of ways to be used by God. But in the time we have left, I want to share one possibility with you. And I'll start by sharing a little of my story. Over the course of my life, and especially as a follower of Jesus, I've tried to notice how much God has blessed me. Because I didn't choose when or where I would be born, but God decided that I would be born in one of the wealthiest countries this world has ever seen. And I'm thankful for that. In this great country, I've never been hungry except by choice. I have never gone without basic needs like shelter or clothing or clean water. I grew up with lots of toys. I got a great education. I had opportunities that seemed almost limitless. And on top of that, I was born into a family that loved me and led me to follow Jesus. So when you put my situation next to everyone else who's ever lived on this planet, I know I'm in the microscopic minority of people who have been blessed in the way that God has blessed me. Now, I don't need to apologize about that because, again, I had no say in when or where I would be born. But at the same time, my blessings come with a responsibility. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Now, in one sense, I think about that responsibility in spiritual terms. I have the privilege of knowing forgiveness and salvation through a relationship with Jesus, so I want to help others find that relationship as well. That's the spiritual angle, but that's not the whole story. I also believe I have a responsibility to share my material blessings. Just like that boy who said yes to Jesus and shared his lunch, I got to ask, how is God calling me to share some of what I've been given to bless others for His kingdom, for His glory. I've wrestled with that question for decades now, and sometimes that question has taken me outside of the U.S. I've been to several different countries, and each one has impacted me in a unique way. For example, when I was in Haiti, I was blown away that a country in our day and age could be in such a mess. There are serious spiritual challenges in Haiti, but There's also sickness and poverty that's just woven into the fabric of everyday life. And I have great memories of my trips to Haiti, but I also have memories of feeling overwhelmed and frustrated because I kept thinking, huge governments are dumping all kinds of money into this place, 
and charities and missions are trying to help, but in the end, Haiti is still a mess. So now fast forward to a little over two years ago, I had lunch with a guy named Dick Alexander. Some of you know Dick because he was the preacher here at Plum Creek right around the time I was born. But anyway, at this lunch, Dick challenged me to pray about whether Plum Creek would sponsor children in Africa, in Kenya, through a ministry called Missions of Hope. Dick told me that Missions of Hope was started and run by Kenyans, not Americans, but by Kenyans who are also followers of Jesus. And he said, this mission does the best holistic ministry I've seen anywhere in the world. Now, by that word holistic, Dick was saying that Missions of Hope not only meets spiritual needs by leading people to Christ, but they also meet other needs like helping families break out of extreme poverty. Now, I have to be honest, I was not immediately moved with compassion when I heard about this. I had seen the statistics. I knew that half the world lives on less than $2 a day. I even knew that every day, thousands of children die from largely preventable causes. I didn't know the specific numbers at that time, but here's the reality. In 2015 alone, an estimated 5.9 million children died before their fifth birthday. About half of those deaths were in sub-Saharan Africa, in places like Kenya. But like I said, I knew there was a lot of need in the world. The, the thing was, it, it's just overwhelming. It's hard to see how one person can even make a dent. However, over the past two years, I and several others here at Plum Creek have gotten to know missions of hope. Two of us, myself and Ed Prather, went to Kenya last year to see it for ourselves. And what I've learned and what I've seen has moved me. I've seen God working through faith-filled people to bring hope where there was none. So very briefly, let me explain the situation. First, I want to show you a map of Africa. Kenya is in the box on that map. Next, let's zoom into Nairobi. Nairobi is the capital of Kenya, and it's a huge city. More than 4 million people live there. However, 2.5 million of those people live in extreme poverty in massive communities called slums. Here's a map with the slums that are all over the city. So how do you define a slum? Well, a slum is a neighborhood where families are packed together living in shanty homes. These shanties are often six-foot by eight-foot homes made of tin and mud and whatever else they can find. In the slums, Running water is a rare luxury. There are disgusting public bathrooms shared by up to 100 people, and you have to pay to use them. Those who can't afford the toilets or just choose to avoid them use the alleys or the ditches between the shanties. As you can probably guess, disease is rampant in the slums. Unemployment is rampant. Crime, drug abuse, prostitution, all rampant. And in the middle of this mess, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of children. And you and I can't even imagine what their lives are like. Most of us would look at this scenario and then get overwhelmed and turn away. But that's not what Mary Kamau did. Mary is the founder of Missions of Hope. And when she first saw the slums and the massive scope of this crisis, she did feel overwhelmed. 
But she didn't just turn away. Mary is a woman with big vision and a strong faith in Christ, and she decided to say yes to Jesus. First, she came to the U.S. and got an education here, but then Mary went back to Nairobi, to the Mathari Valley slum, and she started a preschool. She began with 50 children. That was in the year 2000, not that long ago. And from there, the work expanded. Missions of Hope started schools in multiple slum neighborhoods, and they were leading kids to Christ and transforming lives. And eventually, Mary met some folks from an American organization called CMF, or Christian Missionary Fellowship. The folks at CMF were excited about what Missions of Hope was doing, and they said, what could we do to help you reach more people? And Mary said, if we could just find sponsors for more children, this ministry could grow indefinitely. So a partnership was launched between Missions of Hope and CMF. That was 2004. And from that point, as more sponsors have gotten on board, the work has just exploded. I said in in the year 2000, Mary began with 50 kids. And today, the mission is working with over 16,000 kids. 50 to 16,000. And Mary has a vision to reach over 125,000. Now, I could tell you about how this ministry impacts the lives of these kids, but I'd rather just show you. Let's watch this video and meet a girl named Virginia. My name is Virginia Mwangi. I am 11 years old. I live in Nairobi, Kenya with my mom, sisters, and brothers. I live in this slum my whole life. Most kids like me do not go to school. Their moms can't pay school fees or buy books or uniforms. They have nothing to do. Their dreams don't go beyond these streets. I have a sponsor that changed everything. I get to go to a missions of hope school every day. I love my teachers and my friends. I learn about things like how a tree grows and how to write stories. I learn about God and many stories from the Bible. I love Jesus and I love singing songs to Him. I eat good food at school. My favorite food is rice. I learn how to be healthy so that I can teach my mom to be healthy too. When I grow up, I want to be a doctor so that I can help people. I know I can do it. I know that I will grow tall and strong. This is our social worker. He checks in on our family. He got my mom a job. 
My life is much better being in school. I am growing and learning about the world. I hope that every kid in the slums can go to school, have purpose and dream big dreams. My name is Virginia Mwangi. I know that Jesus loves me and I have hope for my future. Stories like that are repeated literally thousands of times. Children's lives are being transformed through this ministry, but it goes beyond the kids. And this is one of the things that's really special about Missions of Hope. They work with children because they love kids, but the child also provides an open door to reach out to the entire family. That's where this transformation starts compounding. See, to, to fight the multiple layers of these problems in the slums, you've got to deal with the whole family unit. And many adults feel like they have no options to provide something better for their families. The story often goes like this. In the mornings, men and women leave the slums to go out into the city and look for a day job. A man might look for construction work. A woman may look for house cleaning jobs. If they're lucky and they find something, they may get one dollar for a day's work. If they don't find something, things often go bad. Fathers are embarrassed to go home without having found a job, and they may engage in harmful behaviors like, like substance abuse. Women who didn't find work often resort to the commercial sex trade. That line of work only pays about 50 cents a day compared to a dollar, and of course it comes with a host of other problems and shame. The situation is poverty without dignity. But this is where that holistic ministry model comes into play. In addition to reaching out with the hope of Christ, Missions of Hope provides other practical solutions for these families. Now, they're leading people to Jesus, and that's always the number one priority. But they also provide health care and training for disease prevention. They started a trade school to give adults a pathway to a viable career. They provide microloans to help people start new businesses. I can't even list everything that they're doing. So again, I'll just show you one story. Let's meet a woman named Jane. My name is Jane. I'm married and I have four children. My firstborn is a Mohi graduate and is now studying to become a mechanic. The others are still in Mohi grades 8, 3, and 2. I was suffering so much because I was HIV positive. I had no food. I could do nothing by myself. My husband had abandoned me because of the sickness. I never thought even for one day that my children would get educated. I had lost hope. One day, Moi social workers came to my house and found me lying sick in bed. They took my children and recruited them into Mohi. Later, a chair worker from Mohi recruited me into a HIV support group and I was appointed as the secretary. Mohi received me with love 
and I later joined the tailoring program. Teacher Mary taught us the skills, and through her Christian teachings, I accepted Christ. Immediately after I was born again, my life started changing. I found peace in my heart, and even my husband came back. I used the sewing machine I was given at Mohi, started buying second-hand blouses, resizing them, cleaning them, and reselling them. I joined Mohi's microfinance program and took a $300 loan, which helped me expand my business. Now I have started selling my clothes in other markets. Mohi came into my life through my children. I'm thankful because they helped me overcome my sickness and they gave me a skill that has helped me change my life. I'm able to take care of my family, including paying my children's school fees. I'm also serving as a Sunday school teacher, and I praise God for that. I don't worry about my future anymore because I have a hope in Christ. Now, there's a lot of good stuff in that video, but I want to make sure you notice something. Did you hear Jane say that she is paying the school fees for her children? You might wonder, well, why doesn't Missions of Hope let her kids go to school for free? Well, think about this. If parents are not given the chance to provide for their children, it's just like saying, you're good for nothing. But did you see the look on Jane's face? She's been given the dignity of having a job and working hard and providing for her kids. And you see stories like Jane's all over the place with Missions of Hope. I saw it myself. When I was there last May, I went to the Skills Training Center, and I, I watched a group of men learning to become welders. Just a few days ago, I learned that since I was there, that class of welding students have all graduated from the program, and they all have steady jobs. Now, like I said at the beginning, I could go on and on about this for hours I would love to tell you how Missions of Hope is expanding beyond Nairobi into the northern part of Kenya in communities that are 100% Muslim, and they're reaching people there and sharing Jesus there as well. I'm telling you, the possibilities here are limitless, and it's something that I want to be a part of personally. The exciting thing is there's a very simple way for anyone here to get involved, and that's through child sponsorship. It's choosing one specific child and providing $38 a month for support, which is $1.25 a day. And ideally, you would support that one child all the way through school, but even if you could only commit to one year, I would encourage you to do that. Now, I'm not saying that God is commanding you to sponsor a child that doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but I am asking you to seriously consider and pray about whether God is leading you to share some of what you have in this way. Now, you may have questions about this idea, and that is a good thing. So I want you to hear from two people who have a message specifically for our church. In this last video, you'll hear first from Mary Kamau, the founder and director of Missions of Hope, and you'll also hear from Ed Prather from right here at Plum Creek. Let's watch this. Hi, Palm Creek Christian Church. My name is Mary Kamau. I'm the Executive Director of Missions of Hope International. 
we are serving God in Kenya and especially among the urban poor in the slums of Nairobi. The first time I ever came to the slums, when I looked at the overwhelming needs of the people in Madare Valley and other slums, I wondered how can this problem be solved? And over time, God laid it on my heart and my husband so that we could be able to start a school whereby we can be able to reach out to the children, uh, the orphaned and vulnerable children, together with their families so that we can be able to empower these families. And I just get so encouraged every day when I see that one family at a time, one child at a time, lives are being transformed. We may not be able to do everything and we may not be able to, to provide for everyone, but one at a time, one life at a time being transformed is the thing that keeps us going and keeps us encouraged to continue. I'm Ed Prather, and I'm here about the sponsorship that we're doing this Sunday. Me and Susan have been sponsoring a child from Kenya for a couple years now. Uh, Dick Alexander came to a mission meeting and explained the program, and I was taken right from the moment he was there. Uh, he told about the children and what the sponsorship meant to them. The uh, sponsorship, when you first think of it, you think about they would provide food, they get clothing, they get the, the, the most important thing, they get the gospel given to them, which is other benefits also, such as caseworkers get to go into their houses, which means they get to spread the gospel to their parents and also to their brothers and sisters. So it's more than just giving money so they can go to school. Uh, we got Geneva by going through pictures. Uh, my wife wanted a a child that was a little bit older, she didn't want one really young because she thought everybody takes their young ones. Let's take one a little bit older. So we picked Geneva and I was so fortunate that when we went to Kenya, uh, I got to meet Geneva, which kind of told me that these kids are real people. I knew they were, but to actually get to see them, put my arm around her, it really brought it home how desperately these kids need our help. I think the, I think the main thing that I have learned is the level of poverty that some people are living in. When we went through the slums of Mehar, it was beyond anything I could imagine. And to think that Marion Wallace can go in and get the worst of the worst conditions of these children and bring them out and put them in school, give them an opportunity to make a better living for themselves. Not all kids get to go to school in Kenya. They struggle their whole lives. Kids have mission of hope, they have hope, and that's enough to drive me. When you do sponsor, it is everything's so transparent. There's a web page there. You see every month the do donation that you made. At the end of the year, they send you a statement. You, you get to have contact with your child. They will write you letters. Uh, Geneva has written us three letters, which will just break your heart and get you so much encouragement at the same time. So not only do you know they are real children, but you get to talk to them also. Another great thing about sponsorship, it gives you a chance to participate. And as a Christian, I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be a participant. And if it means I get to sponsor children, I want to do that. If it means I get the chance to go somewhere and spread the gospel, that's what I want to do. And that's what I want for all of you. Mary is a person who says yes to Jesus.
Ed is also a person who says yes to Jesus. And, and I love what Ed said. I, I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be a participant. And he said that's what he wants for all of us. It goes back to that encounter between Jesus and the rich man. Jesus didn't want something from that man. He wanted something for that man. My prayer is that every one of you will find the blessing that comes from choosing Jesus over everything. I like the idea of having Child Sponsorship Sunday immediately after the Imagine campaign. So many of us have just finished our commitment to Imagine where we took a step of faith to be generous here at Plum Creek, but now this is an opportunity to be generous far beyond the walls of our church, even beyond the borders of our country. It's like the verse we read here a couple weeks ago, which said, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As we have opportunity, do good to all people. Child sponsorship is one opportunity to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Now, some of you might say, well, why would we get involved in Kenya when there are so many problems closer to home? And I can answer that for myself. The level of need in Nairobi is at a crisis level. I've seen it. And they don't have a lot of the safety nets that we have here. Children are suffering. And with Missions of Hope, we have a Christ-centered group that has a track record of making a real difference. On top of that, though, child sponsorship is a chance for my family to live out what we say we believe. It's a chance to teach our children to be grateful for what we've been given by God. It's a chance to share, to show compassion to others, to change the life of a child or a family. And, you know, based on how God works, He's also going to bless our family as well. I know that many of you have sponsored children in the past, and my family has done that as well. We'll continue to do that. But this is a little different. This time, we're doing it as a church. Our church will have an ongoing relationship with Missions of Hope. And who knows, you could end up going with us to Kenya someday, and you could participate in this work personally. So I need to close because I want to make sure you have time to go to the gathering area and look over those kids and pray about how God is leading you. But my sincere hope is that Plum Creek will say yes, that we'll choose to share our lunch and rise to the occasion and sponsor at least 50 children. We don't want to drag our feet and think about it until we move on to something else. My hope is that you'll pray about this and take action before you leave today. Let's pray. Father, as, as we come to you today, we, we just have to be thankful. We have been blessed in so many ways, and, and sometimes we forget how dramatic our blessings are, especially compared to so many places in the world. God, I thank you so much for the ultimate blessing through Jesus. I know that Jesus changes us, changes our hearts. And so, God, I pray that the rest of the world will see evidence of that, that we'll be living demonstrations of your love and your generosity wherever we go and whatever we do. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.